If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis. This being the first day of Advent, I'm going to do a series of messages really involving God's story. And as we look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and then Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29, I can't believe it is Christmas already. Didn't we just go trick-or-treating, I think? <laughs> Seems that way. Comes on very quickly. So I was thinking about Advent and never really preached this kind of series before. Um, I think Genesis, particularly chapter 12, and, and even before that, we'll, we'll get into that in just a minute, really starts the Christmas narrative. You say, well, Pastor Mike, Genesis has nothing to do with Christmas. Well, in a way it does. And a lot of people uh, don't know what I'm going to tell you this morning about God's story. Some will, some won't, and it's okay. Uh, first of all, I'll start with a quote. This is by Kurt Strassner. Genesis 12 and following offers us the initial blueprint of God's great plan of salvation. True. When we read about God's calling of Abraham, we are not simply giving a lesson on history. We are actually tracing a storyline that takes us all the way to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's absolutely true, but I would maintain that the story of Christmas begins actually and ultimately before the foundations of the world. So when we talk about God's story, it is our story too, but primarily this is God's story. And since God is transcendent and out of time, his view of time is much different than ours. But the story, God's story of salvation actually begins before the creation. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, Ephesians 1.4. So when we go back and we read Genesis, and, and we see that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, before that event, God had already orchestrated an event before the foundations of the world that there would be people who would trust in Christ someday and would experience the ultimate salvation. So God's storyline, at least in salvation, begins before God created anything. It's not like Adam and Eve all of a sudden sinned and God goes, oops, something has happened and I need to fix it. No, God, God knew that. God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful and he is everywhere. And so God had this planned out. So God is... It's kind of hard. It's like trying to nail jelly to a wall. God was also in the beginning, but also in the future, moving world events and things to the culmination. And ultimately, God's story will end with victory. And so when we think about this, we also have to encompass Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant, which we're going to look at very briefly here in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Actually, the law of Moses came 430 years after the covenant. And a lot of people don't know that. So the oldest covenant is the Abrahamic covenant. This is God's story 
and it will move to the advent of Christ. So when we talk about God's story, we talk about before the foundations of the world. And then we, we talk about that God had a plan. And in that plan, Abraham plays a significant role in salvation. You say, well, they didn't have salvation like that in the Old Testament. That's true. But when you look at the nation of Israel, you can see the Horus or the grace of God as we're moving through in, in, in which a prostitute, Rahab, the harlot, is brought into the line. And throughout the history of Israel, you see this inclusion of different people into that line and so when we talk about salvation it has to start with Abraham and we're going to look at this right now so Abraham had faith let's look at his calling now the Lord said this is in Genesis 12 1 now the Lord said to Abram his name had not been changed at that point go from your country and your kindred and your father's house now that's uh, well we look here at the map. Terra started right here. And they would migrate, depending on which one of these you agree with. We go up through here, and we go to Haran. So, and this is confirmed actually in the, in the verse before in chapter 11. Tira took Abraham, his son, and Lot of Haran, his grandsons, his daughter-in-law, and he moved them from Ur, which is down here, up to the land of the Chaldeans of the Canaan. But when he came to Haran, right here, they stopped and they settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died. So Abraham's calling, Abraham's calling took place right here. That's where most scholars, and I would, I would totally agree with that, his calling took place there. By the way, Abraham is acknowledged by three major religions in the world. And that's significant. Islam acknowledges Abraham. Christ, uh, Christians acknowledge Abraham, and so do the Jews. So the three major uh, religions, only one of them is correct, by the way. That's ours, the Christian faith. They all acknowledge him, and, and when God makes these promises, you can see how it's being fulfilled. So, the Lord said, and this is, if you go back and you look at the language here, it means that the Lord appeared to Abraham. It was a theophany in which God spoke to Abraham. And you can imagine Abraham receiving this word in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And the Lord said to Abraham, and this is what he said. He said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Halak is the word for go, and that means to journey. And, and by the way, we see here first the foundations of pistis in the New Testament, faith. When Abraham is told by God to go, Halek, he says, I want you to go. He doesn't exactly tell him where that's going to be. And, and, and that, that's significant. Sometimes in, in our lives, 
We have to do things based on what God tells us, even though we do not see the next step. Now, what Abraham is called to do is to leave. He's called to leave. So he's in Haran. God appears to him. And he tells him to leave. First of all, he says, I want you to leave your country. When I was, well, I, I went in, I was 19, actually. I had completed basic training at AIT. Georgia was a wild country to me. I, I grew up in Titusville, Florida. I had only been out of the state once, and that was to Tennessee, and that was for a short time. So I was in Florida my whole life. It's a totally different culture. I think they're still wearing shorts down there now, shorts and short sleeves. When I graduated AIT, I got to go home for a little while, and I was so happy to be home. But then my orders were to go to Germany. Now, I'm 19 years old. I've really only been out of the state a couple of times. And then I fly 3,000 miles, and I wind up in Germany. I was sick as a dog. On the military airlift command planes, you fly backwards. So when I, when I got off the plane, I was sick. And they said, okay, we're going to take you to the clinic. And I get there, and the culture is totally different. Totally different. Sprechen Sie Deutsch. Nichts verstehen. Totally different culture. Now think about Abraham for a minute. God says, I want you to leave your country. Not only that, Abraham, I want you to leave your family. So now not only does Abraham have to get out of his, and he still doesn't know where he's going yet. He says, I want you to go. I want you to journey. And by the way, faith is a journey. <laughs> Many of us have been on that journey for a long time. Some have been on a short time. Then he says, I want you to leave security. Now, most scholars that I've read, and, and I concur, that this is the essence of salvation. Because when we come to Christ, we have to surrender everything. Abraham is asked by God in this moment, that moment when Abraham received the call from God, I want you to go and I want you to leave everything, your country, your family, and your father's house. I want you to go. That is one of the best pictures of what it means to walk by faith. <laughs> Abraham, where am I to go? Where do I go? That's a big question. Notice what God says. To a land that I will show you. Not right now. Not at this moment. But I will reveal it to you as you follow me and are obedient to me. I'm going to show you. Raha is a hephile verb, and it really means to reveal or cause to see something in the future. Abraham had to walk by faith. Abraham was called by God, and he says, I want you to follow me, and I want it to be by faith. So, Abraham 
left. It kind of reminds me of something. This, this came to me as I was working on this sermon. It's, it's the three not worthy statements of Jesus. And I go back and I look at Abraham and see the actions that he took. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 37 to 38. He who loves his father, more than, his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The issue here is that for us as New Testament Christians, the issue is, is Christ above everything? Is Christ the highest pinnacle of your life? That's the goal of the Christian life. In Abraham's, in Abraham's day, he was asked to leave all of this. He was asked to leave everything to follow Yodehavev, Yahweh. And he had to do it by faith. And brothers and sisters, this life is to be lived by faith. It is not something that we can... Some, sometimes God is merciful and he gives us clear directions. And then sometimes... God says, I want you to follow me even when you can't see the next step. And so, Abraham and his calling. Now, that gets me to the promises. So Abraham has this calling from God. I want you to go. I want you to leave your country behind. I want you to leave your family. And I want you to leave the security of your father's house. And, and I will show you at just the right time. For us, God's always late, right? <laughs> God is always late. He's never early. But God's always on time. So God makes some promises to Abraham, which are fulfilled when Christ comes. And in the New Testament, we see this. And notice what is written here. Verse 2. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Gardal is the word for great. Now, a casual reading of this, you understand that this goes beyond Israel. Because the word great means a very large nation. When you look at the nation of Israel, it's very small. What we see here is the first evangelical blueprint that God will bring the nations of the world. And at the right time, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So he says here, I'm going to make you a great nation. You have no idea. Uh, and, and Abraham's getting ready to walk out and, and God says, I'm going to help you in your faith journey. I'm going to let you know that I've got great plans for you if you follow me and are obedient to me. The second great that he mentions here is Gidal, not uh, Gardal, but Gidal. And it means to have a high status. I will make your name great. Abraham, if you get out of your country and you follow me, I am going to make your name great. And by the way, all three major religions of the world acknowledge Abraham. That promise was fulfilled. And then there's the word bless. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. 
I love this. Listen to this. And I never really picked it up until I went back and I looked at the Hebrew language. Barak. Barak. And it means to speak words of, listen to this, speak words of divine favor. It is where we get the word Horus in the New Testament for God's grace. What he's telling Abraham is when I say I'm going to bless you, my favor will be upon you. And when we come to the New Testament, we see that we are given God's grace, unmerited, undeserved. And Abraham experiences in some way the grace that we experience today. Amazing. Simply amazing. The second word is blessing. Heka. Heka. And listen to this. This word means, so the, the second blessing, so that I will make you a blessing. It, the word means treaty of peace. Paul uses this word. May the peace of God, or may the grace of God and the peace of God be yours in Christ. When somebody experiences the grace of God, they also experience the peace of God. There is a cessation of hostility. So he's blessing Abraham here. These are great blessings, by the way. And notice, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. So Abraham He's called to walk by faith. He's called to step out. He's called to leave everything behind. And he's called to follow God. But God is giving him some blessings and some promises. Don't worry, Abraham. I will be with you. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No man shall pluck you out of my hand. So many parallels here. And in you, listen, evangelical emphasis, here it is, right here. And you, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. When God says, I'm going to make you a great nation, Abraham maybe didn't know this at, at the time. I'm, I'm guessing he didn't know it. But God is foreseeing a day when the Gentiles will be brought in to the kingdom of God. And that great nation will expand beyond Israel. By the way, Israel's still God's holy land. And we must, as a people, always stand with the nation of Israel. But here you have all the families of the earth, not just the Israelites, but Abraham, what I'm starting with you is big, and it's going to grow, and it's going to take thousands of years to get there, but we're going to get there the day that Christ comes. We'll study in Galatians, where he was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, and at just the right time, God sent forth his son. So here you have an evangelical uh, issue in Abraham. In you, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That is, they will experience the divine favor of God. Wow. We just look at Abraham as, you know, an old, Old Testament figure that has no emphasis or place in Christianity. Brothers and sisters, Abraham is actually the father of our faith. Because the same thing that Abraham experienced with God, we experience when we trust in Christ. We're called to leave everything, aren't we? We're this life is not our own. 
You've been bought with a price. This life is no longer about me. It is no longer about you. And yet when you go outside this world, that's what the world says. This life is all about me. And Abraham experienced, and, and not just Paul, but other New Testament writers point back to Father Abraham. So, yeah, that, that is another apologetic for God. Did you know that? That God kept his promise. You can't tell me that the three major religions of the world all acknowledge Abraham as the source. Two of those are wrong, obviously. So, the Abrahamic covenant. I don't know if you can see it way back there, but the Abrahamic covenant, the nature of it is unconditional and eternal. It sure is. It comes through the divinic line. Uh, it starts out with the Abrahamic covenant. It is confirmed through Isaac, Genesis 26 2 and 5. It is confirmed by Jacob in Genesis 28, 13 to 15. It is confirmed by the 12 tribes. This covenant, which Paul will say in Galatians, uh, that the law that came 430 years later doesn't nullify the covenant made with Abraham. So you come down here, you got Genesis 12, 1 and 2, land promise to you and your descendants. If you want to look it up, the land covenant is in Deuteronomy 29 and 30. Then you have the seed or the descendants. They come down the line, unique relationship with the Gentile nations. That was the promise. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. It's not just going to be the Israelites. It's going to encompass other people. It's going to encompass other uh, cultures. Then it comes through the divinic covenant and then the spiritual blessing. I will bless those. And by the way, I am going to be preaching Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34 in this series. So the Abrahamic covenant is technically the first covenant that God makes. And the only condition to that covenant was faith. Now, the Mosaic Covenant came after that. But that was the first one. Now, if you'll go with me to Galatians. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians is trying to tell the the Gentiles, that you're not under the law of Moses because that was given to the nation of Israel. This life is to be lived by faith. Doesn't mean that the Mosaic law was bad. It was holy because God is holy. But that's not how you advance in your relationship with God. This is all advanced by faith. By the way, when I was in Korea, I read Galatians uh, on, a, on a bunk, and it radically changed my understanding of what it means to be a believer of Christ. Now, in Galatians chapter 3, we find out that we're Abraham's offspring. A famous text, and I'm going to give a little pushback on some of this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is, neither, there is no male and female. Now, Feminist theology, and I brought one of my favorite scholars, 
Suzanne Johnson. I had to read this book when I was at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And feminist theology uses this verse wrongly. So, this verse, if you go back and you read the verse that was before it, and I'll go back and read that. For as many of us were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Then he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. And I feel like I did bring it up because I had to use, had to use the verse. So I had, to write a, I had to write a response to her, and on the paper the professor kept saying to me, be nice. Uh, Susan Johnson writes this. In the baptismal waters, all human distinctions that keep us unequal are washed away. Baptism proclaims freedom, mutuality, and shared leadership. Through baptism, we each are ordained into the priesthood of all believers, disallowing any clerical or gender bias as it relates to ministry in the church. In other words, what she's saying is that when we come to Christ, God gets rid of the male and female. You're just gender neutral. She will go on to write this later in the book, and I can't tell you what I wrote on the side notes on this, but... Um, feminist biblical scholars, she's one, are facing head-on the pervasive sexism within the biblical materials. Listen to this. This is why you cannot build theology on one verse. The Bible is unabashedly a male book written by men in their language and thought form reflecting a male-centered biblical cultural divide. She goes on to write, the hermeneutics of suspicion precedes us to eliminate this teaching. There's so many problems with this. And, and the reason that I had to bring it up is because, well, she makes many more points here about how bad men are. Well, in one degree, she's right that at the baptism, and what Paul is ultimately driving at here is that it doesn't matter whether you're a man, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, whether you're a slave, whether you're free. None of that matters. You can come to Christ. That's what that means. It means that God is opening the door wide open. But when we go to the New Testament and we find... I didn't, make, I didn't make this rule up, God did, that men are the head of the wife. Paul writes that clearly. That doesn't mean that men, you are to, you know, put your wives down and, and abuse them. But the fact is, the man is the head of the house. That's just in the Bible. And it, it comes after the writings of Galatians. Uh, women in the pulpit should not be. Because there, it, 
but she would, Susan, Suzanne Johnson would say, yes, because baptism levels it, therefore there is no male or female anymore. So then it's not much further along, you can just change the genitives of the masculine and feminine, make them neutral, and they can apply to anybody. But yet we see there is a distinction between men and women, right? There is a difference. That does not go away at salvation. What Paul is writing here, before he gets to what I really want to talk about, he's saying, I want you to understand that it doesn't matter. If you're a Gentile, you can come to Christ. If you're a female, you can come to Christ. If you're a male, you can come to Christ. If you're a slave, you can come to Christ. All ground is level at the cross. That was the promise that God made to Abraham. In you, all the nations of the world will be blessed and all the families of the earth will be blessed because I'm not just isolating to one small section of society. And so, Timothy George quotes J. Bly, uh, when a person is dipped in the baptism in the bath of baptism, he comes out a changed man or a changed woman. His former color disappears. He comes out the color of Christ. Whether the person before dipping was a Jew, a Gentile, a slave, a free man, or a man or a woman, that no longer matters because you are changed spiritually. By the way, baptism is just an outward sign of an inward decision. That's all that is. And, uh, yeah. There is no distinction between these groups as it relates to salvation. All are welcome. But it doesn't change the essence of our masculinity or our female characteristics. He does go on to write here immediately after that there's neither Jew nor male, female or male. He goes on to say, for we are all one in Christ. Has, one. One in contrast to more than one. And this, brothers and sisters, becomes this verse right here. This, Genesis, this uh, Galatians passage becomes the fulfillment of what God said to Abraham is this not just going to be for the nation of Israel, this is going to expand for everybody. There is a difference between men and women. And I, I don't care to go into those distinctions, but we know what they are. God still has order. Men still lead. Women are loved by the men, should never be abused, never be mistreated. But to try to alter that, it becomes a biblical nightmare. And unfortunately, so many denominations today, and I'm keeping an eye on our own denomination as well, so many denominations are erroring in such ways that it's unbelievable. 
Now the promise. One in Christ and then the Abrahamic promise. Here it is. Here it is. You, you can take this. Keep it yourself. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. If you belong to Christ, you are then offspring. Sperima. Which is where we get how babies are born. Sperima, which means descendants. Kleronomos is heirs, something that a person inherits. So let's look at this for a minute. We have Abraham's faith. Abraham was called by God to leave his country, his family, everything. Follow him to a land that I will show you. Is very similar to our faith. Where God says, I have to have primacy in your heart. I often wonder how many people I've led to saving faith that really did not get that. When we trust in Christ, he is number one. Our family is secondary. So many times I see so many things happen in, in families that it's just wrong. Christ is first. He has to take first place in our lives. He's number one. Not my dad, not my mom, not my brother, not my grandchildren. Christ has to be number one in your life. So the question is, is Christ number one in your heart today? That's the ultimate question. I just wonder how many people that I've said the sinner's prayer with really believed what they were saying. That's something to think about. So we have our faith. When that moment comes, the day that you trust in Jesus Christ, the day that army chaplain led me to saving faith, I knew it. It was real. It was genuine. I knew that. What I didn't know at that time was at that moment, I became a descendant of Abraham. I knew it later on, but my faith is rooted at the beginning. You see this, right? You see this in, in Galatians. Paul is saying, you go back to Abraham, and that's who your descendant is. We were grafted in. God grafted us in. I want you to understand that. You are, you are an Israelite in your heart because you're from that line. And Abraham is the father of our faith. Of course, Jesus is the author of our faith. But it goes back to Abraham and his promise. And by the way, Paul writes this in Galatians. Just as Abraham, this is before the one we just did today. Just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. That is, right standing with God. When Abraham believed, it was 
right standing with God. It had nothing to do with law, nothing to do with this, because this came 430 years before Moses, and I love Moses, and I'm even thinking about doing a series first of the year on Moses. This is not to knock Moses, but I want you to understand this is the first covenant, and it came 430 years before. Know then that those who are of faith, who are sons of Abraham, that's you and me, if you've trusted in Christ this morning, your spiritual father is old in the Old Testament. Think about what that means. And when he said, I will, I will make you a blessing, God's favor will fall on him. I'll speak words of favor. Guess what? You're under divine grace this morning. And the scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. So I love this. Before the foundations of the world, God said, Adam and Eve are going to mess up. And I'm going to call Abraham and I'm going to put Moses in place. And God's just lining it all up. And he's there and here and he's going, okay, all this is going to move to me. But scripture, who wrote scripture? God did. God wrote scripture. Seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Brothers and sisters, when we look at Genesis and we look at Abraham, that's the gospel. The gospel is thousands of years old. It was experienced in the Old Testament. And that is where, that's, where, that's where this whole thing starts as we move towards the advent of Christ. Right here, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. In you... He quotes the blessing. I love this. Paul does. In you shall all the nations be blessed. Israel, share the gospel message. This is fact. And by the way, <laughs> you know what the gospel is, right? The gospel is good news. People often look at Abraham. He's isolated. He was a great guy. But he had nothing to do with my Christian faith. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. So then those who are of faith. You. Along with Abraham, the man of faith. Why it took God so many years? I don't know. I'm not God, so <laughs> I can't, can't figure that out. But I know that God had a plan. His plan's much better than any plan I could come up with. Do you know the, the impossibilities of Christ being the Christ? And yet, he was the Christ. And so... There it is, spelled out. Maybe you look at the gospel a little differently. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you trusted in Christ? Those of you that are watching by Facebook, Microsoft Teams, do you know Jesus Christ? Have you invited him into your heart? Have you trusted in him? If you would do that today, you would experience the same faith that Abraham experienced when he believed God and followed. 